Podcasting from Phoenix, Arizona, the home of year-round flip-flops, the nation's largest city park, and Cactus League spring training. This is The Saver and The Spender, a weekly podcast about budgeting and money habits from both perspectives. And now, here are your hosts, The Saver and financial coach, Kelsa Dickey, and her husband, The Spender, Michael Dickey. All right, everybody, welcome to episode three of The Saver and The Spender. Today, we're going to be talking about splurging. Yes, all the things that we like to spend our money on. Um, and for us today, we, uh, we did splurge on some Dutch Brothers coffee. That's what's uh, keeping us caffeinated this morning when we podcast. We did. Gretchen, I know. Gretchen has a love. Uh, Gretchen is following on Facebook Live. She has a love of Dutch Brothers mm. coffee as well. We were just talking about that yesterday. Oh, good. Yeah, that's or two our, days ago. our favorite um, because they make me feel good about myself after <laughs> leaving there. <laughs> they make you feel good. Yeah. Yeah, they like really talk I mean, to you. Like, and... I'm like, dude, like, you want to go hang out and talk about coffee after you get out of work because you seem like a good dude. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, when I was in the drive-thru today, they said, uh, so what are you doing today? And I said, oh, I'm going to work. And, and they said, oh, you're going to have a dance party at your work? And I was like, <laughs> sure, yes, yeah, let's sure. do a dance party. Come on, but bring was, your longboard. Let's go. You know, most people, if they say, oh, you got to go to work. Oh, that stinks. Sorry. Or it's like this really funny, like awkward conversation that's like sort of negative or pessimistic. But there were her reaction was, oh, you're going to work. You're going to have a dance party? I'm going to use that. I'm going to steal that because that is. You, I mean, and I said, yeah, we've done that before. Good. And she said, yeah, we do it all the time here. And they do. I mean, if you've ever noticed when you go to a yes. Dutch Brothers Coffee, they're usually dancing or having a good time. And yes. I love that. I really want to work there, actually. I'm, I quit. <laughs> I quit. my two weeks. <laughs> okay. Thank you for that. So um, before we talk about splurging, and if, uh, you know, we do broadcast uh, live on Facebook while we podcast, so we're going to be taking some live questions. So if anybody has any questions, please let us know right now on Facebook Live. Um, but first, we want to talk about uh, some trending personal finance news, and, I, and uh, this is from CNN Money, um, and I'm just going to read it here, and then we can kind of talk about it, and, and Kelsa, the financial coach, will give her two cents. Mm-hmm. But uh, So, America's Olympic medalists must pay state and federal taxes on the prize money they get for winning. The U.S. Olympic Committee awards $25,000 for gold medals, $15,000 for silver, and $10,000 for bronze. So, I don't even know if I knew that they actually... The actual Olympic Committee gave them money, but that's, that's interesting in itself. Mm-hmm. But that's not all. Olympians also have to pay tax on the value of the medals themselves. The actual medal, not the medals, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Gold and silver, silver medals are made mostly of silver, while bronze medals are composed of mostly copper. Rio's medals are among the largest and heaviest ever and contains about 500 grams of either silver or copper. The value of a gold medal is about $564, silver is worth about $305, and bronze is worth a negligible amount, so it's not even taxed. Hmm. Um, Taxes are yet another burden for Olympians, the majority of whom are already struggling to get by. The U.S. is one of the only countries that doesn't provide government funding to its Olympians. A handful of lucky athletes land lucrative endorsement deals, but most of them rely on small stipends from the USOC, support from local businesses, and or supplemental income from a day job. Hmm. So this is where I think when we think about Olympians, we think about, you know, Michael Phelps or the gymnasts who probably get some sort of sponsorship contract or they are, I don't know, probably making good money after they win and they become very popular. Um, but I think that that's such a small majority of the Olympians. Oh, so yeah. really the majority of them, it, they're not necessarily, uh, I don't want to say popular, but they're just not 
famous or celebrities and earning tons of money in contracts afterwards for like Wheaties, for example. Right. So, um, and if you think about the cost of actually living over there for a month while the Olympics are going on or however long they're over there for their, their sport, uh, the cost of sort of dedicating most, most of their life to their sport yeah. in addition to their job. Uh, I do think that in addition to that, they, they then represent our country, then they have to pay tax on it. Yeah. You know, I, I I feel like it's such a small portion of something like why it wouldn't be that big of a deal, I think, to just be like, thank you for, you know, doing this and doing it well, representing our country. We're just going to because it's not like this is making tons of money, I don't think, for our country. I'd like to know the taxes, like what is the total that is earned by our government for just the medals a year? And it's probably such a small number that really why can't we just say... I mean, I guess, you know, one we way could, you could we, do it is, like, do the, the number right of gold, the number of silver, yeah, the number exactly. of bronze, multiply it by how much the tax is mm-hmm. on that. And uh, it's so small a number that is it really even yeah. necessary? I mean, to me, it just seems like one more thing of reporting, one more yeah. just this extra work for nothing, really, yeah. or for very little, exactly. I should say, um, when I feel like the, the cost for these people is already so high yeah. that we don't need to add one more. Yeah, and any, like you said, any additional money that they make on endorsements, which, you know, it's only the big, Michael Phelps gymnastics team, and and I think a lot of the gold winners do get on uh, Wheaties boxes. They get some something, or within their sport, they get something, but it's, I mean, they're going to get taxed on that too. So, yeah. It's just kind of crazy. Which that, I guess, is, to me, that makes sense. It's like that an income, sense. it's yes, an endorsement that deal. That, that makes, makes sense. sense. But the one port, the portion you get every four years for, you know, earning a medal, I, yeah. to me, just seems really minor, unfortunately. Yeah. I wish that we didn't do it. Exactly. I wish the IRS asked my opinion on right. a lot of things, actually. Yeah. That would be really nice if they yeah. asked me what I thought, because I'll tell them. I'll tell yeah. them. They don't th- care what I think, though, I unfortunately. Know. They don't even know what they think themselves. <laughs> Yes. So let us know what you think about that. So Shanna, you don't really like it either. So let us know what you think about the gold or the, not even just gold, but the Olympians getting taxed on the actual uh, value of the medal that they earn. So <laughs> and, and the prize money is so stupid. <laughs> I mean, it's one thing for prize money. Okay. I mean, if you're going to say that, but the actual pr- cost, the price of the medal in the medal itself, it's crazy. Right. So cool. Let us know what you think. Yeah. All right, so uh, next we want to talk about Kelsa's financial rule of thumb for the week. Yes, and we're going to change the name of this to financial rule of dumb. Yes, Okay. I like it. Uh, As most of you who know me know that I really don't really like rules of thumb when it comes to money. Uh, I think that really for the most part money is so unique to the person, to the couple, to the business that uh, if anything, I think when you have a rule of thumb, sometimes what happens is it leads to a lot of guilt or shame in the sense that you all of a sudden feel like, oh, well, this rule of thumb says I'm supposed to be doing it this way, and because I'm not, I must be doing something wrong, or I, and I should feel badly about myself for that. And then that feeling of guilt or shame then leads to sometimes more poor decisions or whatever the case may be. So I really don't like rules of thumb. And so we are going to talk about a rule of thumb during a podcast. And again, we're going to call it rule of dumb, because one of the things I'm going to do is kind of poke holes in it or say why it may not work for you, um, and maybe offer some different suggestions on really why. Um, the rule of thumb is there and who it makes sense for, but who it really doesn't make sense for. And if you're in that, then maybe it will just give you some either peace of mind or um, some sort of confidence that it's okay. Cool. Yeah. So what's the rule of thumb that we have rule of dumb for this podcast? This week, it is save at least 10% of your income. 
okay, which sounds great, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that sounds okay. Um, and then if someone's not doing 10%, this is where they feel kind of crappy about themselves. But then right. at the same time, somebody who's doing 20% but started 40 years late is giving themselves a pat on the back and they still might not be doing enough. Right. Okay. So I guess ideally what I think the best thing a person should do is meet with a financial advisor, somebody you love and trust and respect, and they can run a projection based on what kind of lifestyle you want to have in retirement and give you a number that is sort of perfect for you that says, based on your scenario, based on where you stand um, and your goals in life and how long you want to have until you retire, here's your number. It may be 8%. It may be 28%. Uh, It doesn't really matter what anybody else is doing. Here's your number. And I want you to hold on to that number. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, Like I said, if you are starting young, maybe you don't need to do 10%. Maybe your number can be a lot lower. Um, If that's also true, if you don't mind being aggressive in your investments, or if your lifestyle in retirement is a lot lower than maybe what other people would spend during retirement, you know, some people want to do a lot of traveling or you know, buy a bigger house or any number of things. And some people want to really slow down their pace. And so if that's the case, your cost of living might be low. You might have a really long time until retirement. Um, and so you can save less than 10%. And other people, they want to retire early. So maybe at the age of 50 instead of 65 or something like that. So you've got 15 years less. Maybe your number needs to be closer to 20%, 25%. Again, Just meet with that advisor and find out what your number is, okay? So one of the things I recommend is putting together sort of a retirement budget. And this is, there's a lot of guesswork that goes into this because there's so many numbers you're not going to know, but overestimate a number of your number, you know, or a lot of your numbers. So, you know, if you're not sure how much a mortgage would be at that time, or maybe your goal is to have your mortgage paid off, if you're not sure about groceries and that sort of thing with inflation, just do a little bit of guesswork and guess high. Okay. So that Mm -hmm. way you've got a little bit of a safety net in there and then meet with your financial advisor and find out your number. What I have found is that the number tends to be less than what most people think it is. So I have people all the time say things like, Oh, I don't want to meet with an advisor because I feel, I know they're going to tell me I'm not saving enough. And I I just don't have $3,000 a month to save, or I don't have $3,000 a month to invest. And then if I can really, you know, encourage them to sit down with somebody, that number is not $3,000. Like the number that they've been telling themselves in their head is way worse than what it actually is. And maybe that number is $800 a month and you can only afford 400. At least you know that you're getting closer. And so your job is to get closer to the 800. Knowing the number, I think, helps you to identify the problems that you can identify the solution. Hmm. I like it. Okay. So that's your rule of thumb. Rule of dumb. Yes, let us know what you think of that, okay? And let us know if you do meet with an advisor, how that conversation goes. If you do find out your number was at higher or less than what you thought. Um, Another sort of challenge that I have for you guys is to find out the percentage that you are investing. So a lot of people are doing something to their 401k or doing something to maybe a Roth IRA um, each month. And if you are doing something, then try to figure out what percentage of your income that is just to know the number. I think sometimes it's more than what people think, or it's, it is a way of sort of giving yourself a pat on the back for, for doing something. Hmm. Cool. Good. So in general, that rule of thumb is fairly arbitrary. Yes. Until you get it customized from your financial advisor. Yeah. I'd be curious how many people like sit down and they meet with their advisor and the number that they're supposed to be investing is exactly 10%. Like I really doubt that that is the case. Like I just don't think it happens all that often. Yeah. So 
What do you think, Shanna? Tell us. <laughs> do you do a workshop of the retirement budget? So I do not, but that would be a great thing that we can yeah. add. We do a an investing 101 workshop here. Um, we try to do it about every other month or every quarter, and that would probably be a great addition to that workshop is to help people come up with how to design a retirement budget and the things to consider because there are some things like health care uh, is going to be something, Medicare, that you a lot of people forget in their retirement budget. So great suggestion, Shanna. Yeah, I love that I like idea. It. We'll uh, we'll do that for the next one, which is coming up here uh, in September. So. Cool. Great. Mm-hmm. So next we want to talk about um, uh, letting someone brag a little bit uh, about their budget. Yay! So yeah, so we uh, ask, and if anybody else has uh, something that they want to brag about about their budget, uh, a milestone that they hit or an accomplishment they made or something they paid off or... Uh, Something that makes them feel really good that they're doing with their budget, let us know because we want we want to brag for you because that's awesome. Um, but this one success, success breeds success. That's right, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's very mo- motivating for other people to hear. Oh, you know, I just paid off this credit card, and and it seems very possible. And it could also be something so much smaller than that too, yeah. because I do feel like the. Budgeting happens in very small wins. So we want to hear from you if you pay off a credit card. That's huge. But we also want to hear from you if you just stick to your spending budget for the week or um, if you come in under budget on your clothing or something like that. We want to hear about that, too, because those are huge. Yeah, I like that, too. Good. Big or small. It's all progress, right? So Erica said that her brag for this week is that a few years ago after my first child was born, I started putting back cash every paycheck for birthdays and Christmas. I have since paid for all these gifts in cash. No panic in, in October or November about Christmas gifts as we have a pretty decent cash reserve for it each year. So that's great. Mm-hmm. Um, Go, so Erica. Good job, Erica. Yeah, that's perfect. So that uh, actually ties into another listener question that um, I want to bring up to you. Okay. Um, and Mary from Indiana says, what is the best way to save for the holidays and when should I start saving? Okay, you should start saving today. That's the first answer. So if you are not saving, today is when you start. Um, And really the idea is that if today is August 31st, we technically have four months to save for Christmas on December 25th. Uh, So try to figure out how much you need for Christmas. Um, We should put, I have a gift worksheet. We should, we will put in the footnotes of the podcast and uh, it really just helps you to get organized on how much you spend on gifts. I think a lot of people think of like their family members and their kids at Christmas, but some things that people tend to forget are things like the stocking stuffers or extra food. If you have people over for the holidays or the white elephant gift at work, um, some of the smaller wrapping paper, you know, all the supplies that go with mm. that, the decorations sometimes yeah. if you have to buy new lights for your tree or bulbs or something like that. So Christmas is very expensive for that that reason. So the worksheet that we have lists a, a bunch of those things and it helps you just to kind of gain some awareness of, of what your total is. And so if you were to start, you would take that number and you divide it by four. And right now you would want to put that amount ev- aside every month starting in September between now and, and December. Mm. Okay. And then the thing that nobody wants to do is think about Christmas in January because everyone's like kind of over the holidays usually in January. And they're like, oh, thank God those are over. But really that's when you want to think about the holidays. So start in January. You now have your list. You're super organized, right? So um, now you get to divide that number by 12. And instead of dividing it by four and having it be a big hit to the budget, 
which is still better than paying for it all in December, Mm -hmm. then you can start saving for it in January. There is, you know, a long time ago, uh, credit unions used to offer the Christmas savings accounts where in January you would pick an amount, they would essentially take it every um, month and put it into an account, and then in November they release the funds to you. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of other options to do that too. So those still are popular for some credit unions. Mm -hmm. They don't always call them Christmas accounts anymore. They'll call them just a savings account. Um, and you can absolutely do that where you simply put money aside every month. And then when you do find a gift that you want to buy, whether it's in November or a little sooner in the year, if you wanted to start Christmas shopping sooner, you could, or you can use something like ally.com, which allows you to open a bunch of savings accounts without minimum balance requirements, capital one, com, And like I said, a lot of credit unions do as well. Hmm. Very cool. Um, I was just in a meeting, I think it was last week and, uh, Somebody had a really good Chinese proverb, and it's uh, and it's really relatable to this. So, you're like looking at me, like, oh my gosh, where are you gonna? <laughs> where are you going with Confucius this? Confucius say, um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it says they, the question is, when is the best time to plant a tree? Today, thirty years ago. Oh, so it's when's the second best time to plant a tree? Today. Today. Oh, yeah. Isn't that pretty cool? So. Um, it just makes me think of you know the the worst time to buy Christ, to budget for Christmas presents is December twenty fourth obviously, but um, the the farther out from that date that you start to budget, the easier it's going to be for you and the better it is. Yeah, and so Krista had a great point. So she says January is the best time to buy wrapping paper and Christmas stuff because it absolutely it's like eighty percent off, yeah. um, or Christmas decorations and that sort of thing. I completely agree. So if you did decide to budget and you divided it by twelve, then you would simply spend the amount for January in January, mm-hmm. and that way it's one less thing you have to buy later. You're not really over budget. You're simply using the amount that you were going to set aside for January, and you're just buying it ahead of time. So excellent point that that is a great time of year to sort of stack up for sure. Great. Mm-hmm. Good cool. point. Good. Good job, Krista. Yeah. And uh, so let us know if you do that. We'd like to hear if you do save money over the next four months for Christmas and how you feel about that. Because like Erica, you know, you start to feel so much better about the gifts that you buy. Mm-hmm. You really do. I mean, you just feel like you get to enjoy the holidays as opposed to it being stressful. Uh, you get to love the gifts that you buy as opposed to wondering how you're going to pay for them later. Yeah. So it's a very rewarding sort of endeavor to do. It is. Absolutely. So now let's talk about our main topic for today's podcast, and that is splurging. Yes. So we asked you guys a couple weeks ago, is it, what do you splurge on? And there was so many questions about this. So let's go over what is considered a splurge and what's not considered a splurge. So it, what's irrelevant about a splurge is whether or not it's budgeted or unbudgeted. So I still think it can be something that's a hundred percent planned for, and it can still be considered a splurge. So that's irrelevant on whether it's budgeted or not. The truth is that unfortunately most people don't keep a budget. And so I think for a lot of people, it's just not budgeted because they don't have a budget. <laughs> you know what mm-hmm, I mean? So there's mm-hmm. nothing budgeted. So that's not really the point. The other thing that's irrelevant is the dollar amount. So a splurge does not have to be something expensive. It does not have to be something very grand or something that feels um, really over the top. It can be something super inexpensive and still be considered a splurge. Hmm. Okay. So what is a splurge? So there are some things, some traits that make something a splurge. The first thing is that it's something you don't do very often, but when you do it, it always adds value or always makes you happy. Hmm. 
Okay. So it can't be something that sometimes it makes you happy and sometimes it doesn't. It always has to make you happy. Like it always feels like a treat, especially because you don't allow yourself to do it that often. So when you do it, it feels super special. Mm. Okay. So we had a number of people comment, um, something like eating out all the time. It, the more you do it, it becomes commonplace. And so that's not a splurge after a while. Right. Okay. Um, the another person had mentioned buying books, so she buys a lot of books throughout the month. That would also not be considered a splurge if you allow yourself to do it every time you want one. Yeah. Okay. So it has to be something that you allow yourself to spread out. And it also always has to make you happy. So one of the things is that she said she buy, you know, she buys the books. This is just one example. And then she always kind of feels guilty about it. Mm. So that wouldn't be a splurge. I see. Okay. Because it's something that actually makes you sort of unhappy yeah. after you do it. Okay. okay? So I'm going to give you some examples for us. Yeah. Right. Okay. My splurge. Do you, have you thought about what yours is? Um, no, keep going. Okay. Come back to me. Come back to me. Okay. I know mine. Mine is buying earrings. Oh yeah. Okay. So I do not buy a pair of earrings when I go to Target or if I'm at the store just buying some clothes. I don't buy earrings that match that outfit at the time I'm buying the outfit. I buy earrings when there's a special occasion or when we're traveling. So if we are traveling, I always buy a pair of earrings from that location because I have a memory attached to those earrings, Mm -hmm. right? So I purposely wore these earrings. So on Facebook Live, you can see these earrings. They're in the shape of a heart. I wore these because these were my last splurge. I bought these earlier in the month. Uh, you can see they're really cool, and uh, they are for for you just listening, not watching. They are teal. That's a color, right? <laughs> yeah, they're uh, yeah. aqua, aqua, aqua. Ooh, I aqua? like the color aqua. I think uh, that's good. Sea foam, sea foam. And I would like to point know. out that I purposely wore these, even though they really don't match my outfit today. But I needed to wear them for the podcast. Oh, they look good. Okay, thank you, honey. <laughs> okay, so. Um, Here's the thing is we were, it was my birthday and we were having a family day. We were just going to spend the whole day together. You had a whole day planned of things that we were doing. And we went to an antique uh, mall, mm-hmm. like huge warehouse with, of antiques. And I found these and guess what you guys, they were a dollar 95 a dollar. So see, a splurge does not have to be expensive, but for me, I always know where I bought a pair of earrings from. So I put on a pair and I'm like, I got those in India. Or I put on a pair and I think, oh, I got those in Prescott when we were visiting. So mm-hmm. for me, there's always a memory there attached to it that makes me happy. Okay, sure. so... Rather than buying a shot glass or a magnet or a t-shirt, you buy earrings and it's part of the memory. Right, exactly. So, and I don't buy earrings hardly ever because of that. So I don't buy a pair of earrings just because... Because then when I want to buy a pair, they're always, it feels very special when I do it. Mm-hmm. Okay. And again, these were $1.95. Can you believe that? Score of the century, right? Yeah. Okay. So another example for us is our Dutch Brothers coffee. Yeah. Right? Dutch Brothers, yeah. We we rarely go. Go. Uh, and when we do, it's always that first sip. So I was like, oh my gosh, that's so good. <laughs> oh my gosh. So here's the difference. So this is a perfect example coffee is... Um, of the difference between a splurge and something that if you start to do it too often, it just becomes so commonplace. So if we went every single morning and bought coffee, after a while, we would be so used to it that you almost start to take it for granted, Mm -hmm. right? Or the idea is that you get so used to having it every day that on the days that you don't have it, you feel as if you're living without, okay? Mm -hmm. So on the days that I don't buy a pair of earrings, I don't feel as if I'm not splurging. I feel like those are more common than when I do buy it, right? right? Where if I bought a coffee every day, 
then it simply becomes so routine that I, that I stop either appreciating it or enjoying it um, or making it really feel as if it's a treat. Okay. Where, because we only do it once in a while and there are probably more days than not that we actually would love a coffee, but we just Mm -hmm. don't do it. We make it from home or something like that. On the days that we get it, we truly love it. And it used to be when my office was further away from home, I used to every Friday morning, I would go and I would get a coffee. Right. And on my way to, on my way to work, but I never did it any other day. And those days, I mean, I looked forward to it all week right? Like, oh man, I can't wait for Friday morning and I'll go and get a coffee. Uh, Where if I did it every single day, if I didn't get it, I would actually feel bummed on the days that I didn't have it, Hmm. right? As opposed to really looking forward to it throughout the week, okay? So you want to try to think of the things that would truly make you happy. I also think another um, sort of trait of a splurge is that it's not needed. It is a want. It is something that if you didn't have it, that's okay. You know, we're not talking about like food, okay, or a roof over your head or something like that. This is truly something that you um, can add into your life once in a while, and it's not a big deal if you don't have it. And it can't be something that's a fixed expense. So a really another good example is a housekeeper. So if you are the type of person that brings a housekeeper once in a blue mood as sort of a treat where you, you hire them to come in and just kind of clean your house and it feels like a real treat, that would be a splurge. But if you are the type of person that has a housekeeper come every two weeks or once a month, now that is on a routine pattern and doesn't feel like a splurge anymore. It starts to feel simply like part of your life. Mm-hmm. See the difference? W- yes. Would you say that that's the difference between a splurge and an extravagance? What? That, like having a housekeeper come every two weeks. With, if it's, what, you know, does that make sense? No. No. Okay. Understand. Never so mind. It's okay. An extravagance. No, because I think like you could have an, uh, this could feel extravagant. Like I feel like a pair of earrings feels extravagant to me because if you were to come to my house and look at my dresser, I do not need another pair of earrings. Like there is no need about this, right? right? So it feels extravagant, which is probably why it feels good when I buy mm-hmm. myself a pair mm-hmm. because I don't do it that often and it truly does make me happy. Got it. That makes sense. Okay. okay. So ready, what is your splurge? Did you think about it? I did think about it. I think that I like to splurge when we um, take a weekend or a, a Sunday morning and we go or to uh, like the sports bar and watch a football game and you know, just hang out with and watching football. We go out rather than staying home watching football, not spending any money. We go right. to the draft and yeah, and get watch a, you know, we sit there for a few yeah. hours and get appetizers and then a drink and then yeah. a meal and you know, because you're there for a while. Exactly. Yeah, it's always enjoyable. Where if we did that every Sunday, yeah. football's on Sunday, right? Yes, most of the time. Okay, so if we did that every Except Sunday, on Monday and Thursday <laughs> and sometimes Saturday. <laughs> Okay, so if we did that every time there was a game on, how about that? Yes. Then it wouldn't feel like a treat, mm-hmm. you know? So if anything, if on a day where we would stay home, you would feel like, oh, ho-hum, we're staying home. Right. You know? Yeah. So uh, so that's kind of the idea of a splurge. And so my challenge for people is to think of something that really, that you love, that really adds value to your life. or And it doesn't have to be value in the sense of, monetary value. Mm-hmm. So that's not what I mean, but it really just sort of something you cherish and try to spread it out. So if every time you think you want to buy that, you actually buy it, it stops being a splurge. Okay. Mm-hmm. So try to spread it out. Try to, um, if there is something like every day that you're doing, um, like buying a coffee and you kind of find that you've stopped appreciating it, try to spread it out some, and you'll be surprised by simply actually by 
um, taking it out of your life, you actually appreciate it more when you do get to right. add it. Um, the other thing I want you to think about is what do you have in your life today that you didn't have a year ago? And a year ago, you like really coveted that. So um, a lot of people, and I'll, I'll, you know, give the example of a housekeeper or like some sort of help. So whether it's a landscaper and, you know, maybe last year you were doing it yourself and you were, you felt overworked or you were tired. And a year ago you thought, God, I would just love to have a housekeeper so much. I really want to budget for that. And now you have it, but you've had it for so long that you forgot at some point you didn't have that and you really, really wanted it. Okay. Mm -hmm. And just try to think of those things because it is a really good way of sort of adding value to your life or s sort of being grateful or appreciative for what you didn't have, but now you do have it. Mm. Okay. It's very normal for people to add things. And then after a while they forgot that at some point they didn't have it. Sure. Um, the other thing, one of the reasons why I love having a budget every month is because sometimes a client will, you know, you know, sometimes we just have bad days or bad months or whatever, where you kind of feel like you're getting kicked while you're already down. And uh, one of the best things that I can do for a client is pull up their budget from a year ago and say, look at where you were at though a year ago. Cause I know maybe progress feels slow right now, but look how far you've come from one year ago. And you know, there's oftentimes where like maybe a client had an IRS debt that now it's been paid off for so long. They forgot they had it, you know, and it, but we look at their budget a year ago and we see payments to the IRS or payments to credit cards or, you know, a goal that they've now since hit for so long that they forgot that it was something that they were once working for. Right. Okay. Cool. Okay. So share with us your splurges. We want to hear what is it that you love to splurge on. And again, try to spread it out. Um, try to, you know, make it so that it's something that when you do do it, it really truly feels like a treat. Yes. Okay. Excellent. Okay. okay. What's Eddie saying? So I, Eddie, I'm going to brag up for Eddie a little bit here too, because he says um, that uh, my credit score is up 130 po points since I first started working with Kelso two years ago. Woo! So that's amazing. Wow, so, Eddie, that's awesome. Good job. Okay, let's see. Uh, Lexi says she loves to go get a manicure with her friends as a splurge. That's a great... That's a good one. Actually, great example of if you go every two weeks and get your nails done or every two weeks and get a pedicure or something like that, then after a while, you simply look at your nails and if you don't do it, you think, oh my God, those are so bad. They're so ugly. I need a manicure, right? Mm -hmm. Where if you don't do that, if let's say you do them yourselves, yourself most of the time, and once in a while you treat yourself by going and getting a pedicure with a girlfriend, or getting your nails done, then it simply feels like such a treat. Like, oh, God, that foot massage is amazing. If you, It's not something you get all the time. You're just like, this is amazing. Right. So that's a perfect example of a splurge because I'm sure there's a lot of times where Lexi would love to go get her nails done like more often than what she actually allows herself. But you can correct me if I'm wrong. But I'm assuming that's the case. And so when she actually does do it, it really truly feels like such a, such a treat. Right. So perfect so, example, Lexi. What do you say, Eddie? Want to splurge with me and get a little mani-pedi? Mani <laughs> Eddie and Michael at this. I'm totally <laughs> picturing this right now, holding hands at the pedi. At no, 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 no. We got mimosas. What are you talking about? Oh, I can't be holding hands. <laughs> <laughs> so true. I could see it happen. Yeah. So um, let's take a little stroll. Okay. Because we're going to go to Carmen's Corner. <gasps> oh, yay. That was cute. Thank you. That was a good Thank you. Oh, I, re I was thinking about that one while you were talking. Oh, you were? Oh, my God. You were so excited <laughs> yeah, to say that. I was. You? <laughs> I, did, I, did I stumble over it? No, it was okay, perfect. Good. Perfect right. delivery. So we're, we're walking. We're walking. We're going to Carmen's Corner. So Carmen, for those of you who don't know, is our eight-month-old today daughter. Um, I can't believe she's eight months uh, old crazy. today. Oh, my gosh. It's crazy. 
She seems like she's 20, but she also seems like she's a newborn. So it's kind of a weird, weird thing. Earlier, I was saying I can't, I don't know where 2016 went, but I know we have an eight month old. Right. So not sleeping. That's for sure. <laughs> no, she's a great sleeper. Yeah, she, she we is. cannot complain. That's true. Uh, so we want to talk about talking to kids about money. Yes. So one of the things everyone says to me is how. You know, they come in and they say, you know, nobody ever taught me about money. No one ever taught me how to do this. And so my challenge for parents is to not allow your children to grow up. And when they grow up, they say the same thing, that you didn't teach them about money. So uh, it can also be very overwhelming, though. So where do you start to talk about to your kids about money? There's so many different things we want them to learn. And some things are better delivered at one age versus another when they can maybe conceptualize it and handle it. Uh, so Carmen's Corner is all about introducing just small things that you can teach your kids, little nuggets here and there, nothing major, hopefully things that really just can get added to your everyday routine while you're driving or you're at the grocery store or any number of things so that you can talk to your kids about money and bless them in a whole new way. Okay? Yeah. So the the topic of today's Carmen Corner is basically how do you budget for an allowance or, or for, uh, for your child? So... The topic of an allowance, we've we said this before, is a very hot button issue. Mm-hmm. Um, I personally feel like the best way to teach your children about money is to put it in their hands. And I think the best way to do that is through an allowance. So you could either give them money for doing nothing, or you could al- allow them to do work and equate work with earning money, and you give them money in the form of allowance, okay? So I simply just think that that's the best way to do it. And there are a whole bunch of different ways that we can create an allowance structure. Uh, we have a bunch of workshops coming up here at the office over the next few months, and and it breaks down the ages by or the children by ages, and it's all the lessons you can teach, and it goes over allowance structures. Uh, we obviously don't have enough time in one podcast to go over all of that, but it is something that we'll be introducing slowly. But so my thing is, uh, an allowance is the best way. So the one comment that people say to me is, well, we don't have money for an allowance. We can't, we can't afford to give our kids an allowance. So the one thing I want to tell you guys today is we're starting to talk about how to implement an allowance, how to create one, and how to start executing it, is that it actually should not be an additional line item on your budget. So if you think about, you know, as parents, we want to provide for our, our children a lot, all of their needs, and some of their wants, but then some of the wants they actually, we want them to provide for themselves. Mm -hmm. Okay. And that's where the allowance comes in. So if for the next month, what I want you to do is I want you to sort of observe all the things that your children want money for from you. Okay. And anytime it's a want, so whether it's going to the movies with friends, uh, you're at the grocery store and they want to buy candy or, you know, some clothing or something that they don't really need, then, I just want you to make a mental note of this. If you give them the money for that, the idea is that the allowance replaces you giving them the money. You simply give them the allowance, and then they choose how to spend the allowance. Mm -hmm. I promise you that once you give a child an allowance, they will spend money when it's theirs very differently than they will spend mommy and daddy's money. Yes. Okay? So the idea is that you want them to get the money in their hands so that they can make decisions with it. Some of those decisions they may regret, and that's okay. We want them to learn what that feels like you know, when it's not that painful and they're in your house um, versus, you know, learning it later in life. Okay. And then some of the decisions they are going to be so proud of 
And we want them to feel the pride of what it can be like when they spend money in a very smart way that makes them happy. Okay. So you simply observe all the things you would normally give them money for. You come up with a dollar amount for those things, try to design an allowance structure. And again, we'll go over this in more depth at future podcasts. But um, for now, you simply observe, here's the things I give them money for. If I were to give them an allowance, these are the things the allowance would then have to go to. So I'm not giving them an allowance and continuing to pay for all of those things. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? So it is not an additional line item on the budget. It's likely that you're already spending that money. Got it. Okay, so hopefully that helps. Yeah, so I think... The basics I feel, and correct me if I'm wrong, about what an allowance is, is is using that money for a majority of it to teach kids to problem solve Mm -hmm. and um, appreciate things. Yeah, so I think, you know, we hear all the time about the entitled generation. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of where I was going to Yeah, that's where you were going. I actually don't think the entitled generation is that new of a concept. I we've always just said, well, kids were spoiled. The idea is that if you give your children everything they want, then they grow up to be spoiled. We've had, you know, our parents said kids were spoiled. Now we just use the word entitled. Mm. Um, And whether or not that means a whole generation is growing up to be entitled or not. I mean, money definitely flows easier when you've got credit cards and that sort of thing. So, you know, maybe we're seeing it in a larger group of children, which is why it's now called the entitled generation, but spoiled kids have been around forever, you know? And so the idea is that you are not giving them everything they want. Mm -hmm. You are, they have to earn the money to then go and buy the things that they want. And they might have to pick and choose between their wants, but we all have to do that anyway. You know, there's very few people like Bill Gates, maybe who doesn't Mark Zuckerberg, right? Is that his name? Yeah. Okay. Um, Good job. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) That, you know, maybe don't have to choose between their wants, but all of us do. So in your child, maybe they'll be the exception, you know, but probably not. And so we want them to learn what that's like when they're in the safety and security of our house. Um, We want them to learn that now versus when they're older. So let them get their money. They can then choose how to spend that. And then the hardest thing is that if they do make a bad decision, you can't give them more. Mm, Yeah. You know, like it is painful. And I mean, I I do think already like one of the hardest things is seeing Carmen cry, Mm -hmm. you know, or seeing your child in pain or in any way um, you want to sort of bail them out. You want to pick them up, scoop them up and rescue them. Right. Right. Um, But really that's not teaching them anything. So the idea of learning the skill of how to make good decisions or problem solve is giving them the money and allowing them to learn how to make good and bad decisions with that money. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Perfect. Okay, good. All right. Good. So if you have any other questions about, um, you know, specifically how to talk to your kids about money or you have a certain situation that you would uh, want us to kind of navigate through, please let us know, uh, either on Facebook or in the uh, comments here or just email me at michael at fiscalfitnessphx.com. Yes. Uh, we're excited. You guys, in the next week or so, we're going to be rolling out the new logo. And yeah. uh, we did a whole redesign here, rebranding here at the office. It's been going on for a couple of months now. It's almost finalized. Mm-hmm. So we should, we're going to be rolling all that out to you guys. And so we're really excited to show it to you. It's beautiful. Uh, we used a company called Hype Brand Management. So we're going to give a shout out to them really fast. Michael yeah. didn't know I was doing this. No. But, um, they're out of Michigan. They did a phenomenal job. We are so excited. And uh, just wanted to say thank you to them for... Uh, the insights and the creativity that they put behind the logo because it looks really good. It does. And they are also going to be here next weekend um, to videotape us. We're going to do a, a, a workshop. They're going to videotape it. They're going to do some commercials. We're going to 
going to have a rebranding. Re so it's going to be really cool. So uh, anybody that is local to the area, I think we have two. Not two, very many. Not very many t free tickets left um, to the workshop. It's going to be free. Normally it's like $49 uh, for a couple. Uh, and we're doing it free to uh, get people to be in the audience to, so they can learn for free and, and we can use their smiling faces. So Yes, you will be videotaped. So as a thank you for signing the waiver, saying we're going to be able to put your smiling face on the uh, video, you get in for free. So yeah. thank you. We appreciate your help. Yeah, absolutely. And if you're interested and you haven't signed up yet and you want the last set of tickets, let me know. Yes, or go to fiscalfitnessphx.com forward slash workshops. That's where you can register and secure one of those last spots right there if you are on a computer and you just want to do that. Yep, September 10th. September 10th. Cool. All so right. what are we talking about next time? Next time on The Saver and the Spender, we're going to be talking about sharing responsibilities when it comes to managing money. Mm. Yes. So a lot of people hear that uh, it takes two people to pay bills. That's what we're all told. I don't agree with that. So mm. we're going to talk about that. So, But how do you share responsibilities? Who does what? Who does, handles which task and all that kind of stuff? And um, how do we make it feel equitable in the relationship. So cool. that's what we're going to talk I bet about. That's a big topic for a lot of couples. It is. Yeah. Tends to be on one person's shoulder, but, um, and not the other person's. And we're going to mm -hmm. talk about how to make that a little bit more fair without also, uh, making it a lot of work for both people. Cause that's not really the point either. Right. So, cool. uh, so just a reminder, this will be going on iTunes here in the next week. Please like share, uh, follow. Wait, what do you call subscribe. it? Subscribe. Go to iTunes. You have to subscribe. Look up, Saver and the Spender. Yes, because when this goes live, we have a week, I guess. This is what Michael's telling me. I don't know how any yeah. of it works. But we have a week to get as many subscribers as we can so that it shows up as a hot new podcast or a trending podcast or one of those number of things that I still don't understand. And so we would love your help to either share it and uh, make it so that we can make continue to make this even better. And uh, thank you for following on Facebook Live. Yeah. All right, guys. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to The Saver and The Spender. If you like what you just heard, we hope you'll pass along our web address, www.fiscalfitnessaz.com, to your family, friends, and colleagues. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, follow us on Twitter at IamFiscallyFit, and on Facebook at FiscalFitnessPHX. Join us next time for another edition of The Saver and The Spender.